2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. Now, when I get to some of these names, I'm going to do like Brother Creekmore always done. He just called out the name Monroe. So some of these I may not say to your liking, but uh, I'll just say Monroe because that's where we are tonight. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon with them and with them other beside the Amorites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side, on this side Syria. And behold, they that be in that city, which is En Gedi, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord, even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. I'm skipping down to the 22nd verse. I'll come back and catch the rest of that later. But in the 22nd verse, the Bible said, when they began to sing and to praise, everybody say that with me, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were, the, and they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of Baraka, and for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the same place was called the Valley of Baraka unto this day. I want to talk tonight about the power of worship, the power of worship. I know we've talked about worship and we've talked about praise. I have a lot to say before I, I get to the main course of what I want to say tonight. And there's so much contained in these scriptures that I want to open our eyes to here in the next little while. You know, the Bible delights in, in contrast. If you, ever, if you ever read the scriptures and pay close attention, you will find that some of the most powerful aspects of the word in that we take something that may be negative and, they, and turned it into the opposition or the positive and make something very powerful out of it. If you look at contrast in the Bible, you will see contrasts such as Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, David and Saul. Just think about that. John, who was the beloved, and Judas, who was the betrayer. Paul and Nero, 
and on and on and on and on it could go. There were, there were contrasts in the scriptures. Now, at the center of the story that I read in, in, in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is another couple of characters that are very much in contrast. One of them is named Jehoshaphat. He is the king of Judah. And the other is named Ahab and his sons, who was the king or the kings of Israel. Ahab and his kingdom tried to destroy the worship of the true God in Israel. On the other hand, Jehoshaphat, the Bible said, sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. So Jehoshaphat was much in contrast to Israel or to uh, Ahab who was the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was one of the most righteous kings and godly kings of Judah in their day. And God, God was about to show up because Jehoshaphat honored God and God was about to do battle for him. It did not appear the way it did in the beginning like it was going to be good, but when you study this out, you find Jehoshaphat in the thick of a battle fought by God, and God brought the victory. But in this particular time before the battle, God or Jehoshaphat found himself in chaos. I preached here a few months ago, God in chaos, God in chaos. Isn't it something that God shows up in chaotic times in the life of his saints, in the life of the children of God? Chaos, the world is in chaos. We are in chaos like we've never seen chaos before. We are, we are looking at times and places and things that we have never encountered before. But let me tell you something, God is the master of chaos, chaos in your life, chaos in the world, chaos in the government, chaos in the community, chaos in the school system, chaos wherever you want to go. God is the master. And I want to tell you that what starts out in chaos can often end up with great victory in our life. And, and you've got to admit that it's in the times of chaos that we pray better and we worship better, and we're more faithful to God than we've ever been. Amen. Amen. So the pattern in the Scriptures is that God always shows up in chaos. Let me, let me show you a few things that, that God did just quickly. I'm going to mention them this, this evening. Go back to the very beginning. The world was in chaos. The Bible said the world was without form and void. There was no sun, there was no moon, there were no stars, there was darkness, there was nothing, there was no orbit of planets, there was nothing. Light came and pierced the darkness. Land merged out of a tossing sea. Water came from rock in a wilderness called the wilderness of sin. Manna fell from heaven when the children of Israel were in great conflict and were crying for food. God showed up in chaos. Victory came from the jawbone of a donkey because God showed up in chaotic times. Salvation came from a scarlet cord 
to a woman that was of faith that believed what the men of God said. No matter how difficult your problem may seem, I'm here to tell you on this Wednesday night, God can and will show up in chaos. He's the fixer. Somebody shout amen. So, so let, me, let, me, let me give you some lessons from the text very quickly that, that I, want, I want you to see. I, I didn't read the whole chapter on purpose because we're going to go back in a few minutes and pick some of that up. But the whole chapter is really evidence that God works when men are in trouble. God shows up right on time. We used to sing a song here, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Anybody remember that song? He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Amen. There's some principles that can help us to see the hand of God in our own particular situation through these scriptures tonight. In a nutshell, Jehoshaphat found himself in a very vulnerable position of having to defend himself on two fronts. And he is trapped, if you please, in an ambush between the children of Moab and the children of Ammon. Do you know where Moab and Ammon come from without looking, without, without, does anybody here, just so you, I'm not going to ask you to explain, but does anybody here know where Moab and Ammon came from? Well, I want to, see, I'm going to teach you something you don't know right now. Moab and Ammon were children of Lot that came out of incest because Lot had, had relationship with his own daughters when he, he got drunk. Remember when he fled from Sodom and he got drunk and there was incest that went on and out of incest was born Moab and, and Ammon. And Moab and Ammon caused difficulty for the children of God from the day they were born until the day they died. Always. And on the other side were the warriors of Mount Seir. So Jehoshaphat is trapped. Now, here's, here's what happened. This battle was caused by somebody else's mistake. It, it, it was caused by Moab and Ammon because they were born in sin. And we are all born in sin, but I'm talking about they came out of an incestuous uh, relationship. And, and so through the, has anybody here ever been caught in somebody else's mistake? Don't tell me who it is. But you know, if, if, you, if you go back and look, we're often victims caught in somebody else's mistake. Do you know why there's trouble in the Middle East right now? You know, you know why there's a lot of problems over there? Take it all the way back to Abraham. Because Abraham wouldn't wait on God. And Sarah said, I'm too old to have a baby. You go in and have a child with Hagar. And he did. And guess who was born? Ishmael. And then Isaac later. So we are now seeing the trouble of Isaac and Ishmael that, that, that relates to what's going on in our world today because it all started with somebody else. 
A fellow lost an axe head one time, and there was trouble because he lost a man's axe head, and if it hadn't been for Elisha to bring that thing to the top of the water, he'd have been in real trouble because he had a borrowed axe head. There was a man carrying a cart or two men carrying a cart one time that had the Ark of the Covenant on it. And because they didn't do what God said to do, they caused trouble in Israel. You can get in trouble with other people's mistake. Remember when Nadab and Abihu in the book of Numbers brought strange fire to the altar and God struck them dead? Be careful because you can get caught up in somebody else's trouble. And sometimes it just happens. But here's what happened. It led Jehoshaphat to great fear. Great fear. Because of the looming attack and the place that he was in, Jehoshaphat began to fear. And in fact, the Bible teaches us that he was literally eaten up with fear. You know, the devil uses fear more than any weapon I know against the people of God. Come on now. I want to talk to you a little bit. He's always had a heyday when he can make you afraid. It's, it's, it's him that causes fear. And, and here's where it's at. Fear of defeat. Fear of failure. Come on now. You know what I'm talking about. Fear of losing everything. Fear of backsliding. Fear of some illness. Fear of COVID, if you please. Fear of a spouse leaving. Fear of your children not serving God. Fear of temptation coming upon you. I want to tell you that fear is the opposite of faith. And if the devil can inject fear into you, he will destroy your mind, he will destroy your body, and he will destroy your soul. But let me just tell you that real people of God stand up against the fear that the devil gets and puts upon us or tries to, and they stand up with faith and hold on to the promises of God. Here's a scripture you need to learn. He hath not given us the spirit of fear. If you got the spirit of fear, you didn't get it from God. Because the Bible said he did not give us. He has not given us the spirit of fear. Oh, I'm so afraid. Get rid of that. That's not of God. He, the Lord doesn't want you to live in fear. Amen? I don't care what it's over. You've got to overcome fear with faith. He can... He can the devil will try to put you in every situation he can to cause you to fear. And that's where Jehoshaphat was. In the beginning, he was very fearful. And even though his fear almost blinded him, he knew that the danger that he was facing could be overcome by the power of God. And especially when the next few things happened. What, what it led Jehoshaphat to do, his fear led him to pray. Now, I want to go back to verse 5. Verse 5, and I'm not going to use the scriptures all the way through. You can put them up as I call them out if you'd like. But there are some, there are some things that he prayed that I want you to see tonight. He, 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 had to, he had to go to the Lord in prayer, and when he did, he started asking questions. You know, there's times in prayer that you need to question God. Now, now listen to me. But your questions need to reveal who God is and not your fear. And here's what Jehoshaphat did. In verse 6, he said, aren't you the God of heaven? That's what he said. 
In verse 6, he also said, don't you rule God over all the kingdoms of the earth or the kingdoms of heaven? And, and in verse 6, he also said, isn't power and might in your hand? You go read it. In verse 6, he also said, isn't it true that no one can withstand you? In verse 7, he said, aren't you our God? He's praying. He's asking questions. In verse 7, he said, didn't you give the land to our father Abraham? Didn't you give us this land? In verse 8, he said, didn't they build you a sanctuary for your name, God? Didn't they do that? He's questioning God. In verse 9, he said, isn't it true that if evil manifests itself through a sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, that we can stand in this house? Isn't that true, God? Isn't that? In verse 9, he also is said, isn't it true that we can cry out for our affliction and you will hear us and help? In verse 10, he said, can't you see Ammon and Moab who you would not let invade our land? Do you see them, God? That's what he's asking. Can't, in verse 10, he also said, can't you see we had an opportunity to destroy them before, but we did not and held our restraint. In verse 11, he said, God, can't you see that they are trying to cast us out of a possession that you gave to us in the past? In verse 12, he said, God, won't you judge them? Will you, Lord? And the Lord, in verse 12, he said, Lord, can't you see that we only have your arm, your power, your strength to lean on? In verse 12, then he said this, Lord, we don't know what to do. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He's saying, Lord, we don't know what to do, but you do. So he prayed with questions, and his questions were not questions that would bring doubt. But in his questions, he was gaining faith. Hear me tonight on this Wednesday night. Sometimes you have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, didn't you say in your word? Lord, didn't you promise this? Lord, didn't you tell me this? Lord, didn't you say the saints of God were this? Have you not said it in your word? I have challenged God with his word more than I can tell you on this Wednesday night. But it wasn't to create doubt in my mind. It was to assure me that God did make that promise. And God did, did give that promise. And God did say it in his word. Let me tell you, you can bind God to his word. Come on, somebody. You can bind God to his word. You can, you can stand upon the word of God and declare the promises of God and they are yea and amen and God has to be bound by this word. Amen. It's not wrong to question God. Did you hear me? Just make sure you're moving in the right direction and your, your, your questions are not to bring doubt. Now, if you're sitting around here and saying, well, I don't know if the Bible's true, that's not a question. This is the Word of God, the infallible Word of God. Somebody say amen. You believe this? I'm going to tell you, I, I, I've said it often here. I believe it from cover to cover. I even believe the concordance. I believe the Word of God. But when you start questioning God, you start saying to Him, Lord, did you say it in your Word? Because if He said it, he meant it. If he said it, he's going to stand by it. 
You, 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 there was a bumper sticker years ago, the Lord said it, I believe it, and it's so. Well, I got news for you. There ought to be a bumper sticker that said, the Lord said it, and whether you believe it or not, it's so. Amen? Because his word is truth. Somebody ought to hear me tonight. So it led, it led Jehoshaphat to pray, and he prayed questions to God until he got to verse 12. And then it led a preacher to preach. All of these things that cause trouble. Watch me now. The, the, these things that the enemy's closing in. I'm, I mean, I'm talking in, in, uh, in typology here right now because we're living in that kind of world. We may not have an Ammon or a Moab, but things close in on us. We, we catch ourselves in a bind. Well, it led this man to pray, and then it led a preacher to preach. Watch this in, in, in verse 14. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. When, when Jehoshaphat prayed, in verse 14, the Bible said, the Spirit of the Lord came. And this preacher felt the Spirit of the Lord. And he got up and this is what he said. Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. And thou king Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Man, that's powerful to me. When he said to them through the mouth of the preacher, the battle is not yours but the Lord's or but God's. Now listen to what he said. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. And ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Notice verse 17. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. I get chills on me while I'm thinking about it. You shall not need to fight in this battle. He said, just set yourself and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Is that a promise or what? That's the kind of God we're serving. The faith-filled prayer starting to turn something over in the whole nation now. And it caused the Spirit of God to move on a preacher. And it caused a preacher to start prophesying the victory. Our prayers, ladies and gentlemen, do not define God. They merely cause God to reveal himself through the chaos that you're in right now. Your prayer don't define God. It just calls God to the situation. And he he defines himself. Amen. Listen to this. I read this and I thought it was very good. There is a hermeneutical principle that is used in study of the scriptures. If you want to know what that word means, it, it's the science of interpretation. So there's, there's the science of interpretation that is a principle that is used when you study the Bible. It takes into consideration all sorts of things like the context, the historical tone of the passage, 
the time constraints involved, and a lot of other varying tools to help sharpen the focus of a passage of a scripture. In other words, you can't just take a scripture out of context. You have to go back and see what, why that was said and what that's all about and who that was talking about. And one of the principles that, that is a hermeneutical principle is the principle referred to as the like as, like slash as rule, which allows scripture to say that God or man is like something or that God or man is as something to give a definition of things. That's what it does. There, there are times when the description of God comes about when the writer will use human figures and analogy, analogies to help us see who God is or what God may be doing at a specific time. For instance, for instance, let me give you some quick scripture. Psalm 72 and verse 6 says this, He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass and as showers that water the earth. There's the like as principle. You understand what I'm saying? Talking about God, He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. In Psalm 78, 65, it says this, Then the Lord awakened as one out of sleep, and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. Like and as. This is, this is explaining in a human context what God or like, something that is like God or what God is like or as. In Psalms 104 and verse 2, Who covereth himself with light as with a garment, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain. It's a principle. Jeremiah 23, one more, is in verse 29, is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Now, I said all of that because I want to show you one that's powerful, so powerful you have to get it tonight. This is just a few of the many examples of the principle that I'm talking about. But there's one that I want to read tonight in Isaiah chapter 42. And it says this in verse 13. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. The Lord is going to come out like a man of war. And the Lord is going to come out as a mighty man. And he's going to prevail in your situation. When you pray, when you dispose of fear, when you hear the voice of prophecy, when you understand the word of God, you will know that God will come out like a mighty man. And he will come out like a man of war. And he's going to cry and roar and prevail against his enemies. That is the promise of God. And I'm here to tell you on this Wednesday night that whether you believe what I'm saying or not, I have lived to see him come out as a mighty man and a man of war in my own life and fight a battle while I stood still and watched the salvation of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's going to fight the battle. Did you hear me? God's going to fight the battle. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. 
Don't watch what's happening in front of you with the carnal eye. The battle's not yours. I want you to say this with me. The battle's not mine. It's the Lord's. That's what the Bible said. The battle's not yours. It's the Lord's. If you're doing the right thing. And they heard the word of faith come from the man of God. And they fail before the Lord. Watch this. Worshiping. Can I tell you on a Wednesday night? Oh, I wish I, 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 I might need to, to come back Sunday with this. That when this church ceases to worship, miracles cease to happen. When this church ceases to worship, victory will not come. The Bible said they fail before the Lord worshiping. How many times? Think over your lifetime. How many of you have been in the church at least 20 years? Hold your hand up. A lot of, most of you, yeah. Watch this. How many times have you walked into a church weary, tired, beat up, ready to quit, and suddenly somebody started preaching the word, and it started building your faith to such an extent that you said, you know what, I feel it. I can make it another day. That's happened to everybody. A song, a prophecy. A testimony, the power of God. But I want to tell you, none of it came without worship. Just Hazel just reminded the people that the battle was not theirs, it belonged to God. And if you ever see that, it will totally change your situation. When you understand that the battle is not yours, I, there, I, read, a, I read an article. There was, a, uh, there was a guy by the name of Doug Stanton that wrote a book entitled Horse Soldiers about a group of special forces who were dropped into Afghanistan just a few weeks after the Trade Center towers were bombed years ago, what, 20 years ago or so now, in New York. Their mission, their mission was to work with some of the Afghan warlords in an attempt to wipe out the Al-Qaeda and Taliban terror network. This was this is absolutely not our day because we're, we're on the outside now, but back when. Amazingly, these highly trained special forces, these soldiers, ended up having to ride horses into the mountains to defeat some of those terror cells. I found this article quite intriguing because it said shortly after they ri- arrived, they met up with one of the Afghan chiefs who led them into the mountains in search of the Taliban. And after a couple of days of travel, they finally reached a huge canyon, thousands of feet above sea level. And when the special forces commander asked the chief where the Taliban was, the warlord pointed across that canyon about 1,000 to 2,000 yards away from them and said, they are in the caves. And there was great hesitation by that commander and the special forces to simply begin to bomb and to come after these spots because they really had no idea who was inside. And it could have been innocent people whom the Afghan chief had maybe a grudge against or somebody, one of his enemies besides the Taliban. Or it could have just been the Taliban. So they understood that finally The story said the special forces commander began to explain that he didn't want to just start firing off bombs into the caves because he was not sure if the enemy, the Taliban, was really in there. So the Afghan chief 
pulled out his walkie-talkie and began to utter all sorts of profanity and insults and intimidation. And suddenly the airwaves lit up with about a dozen of the other Afghans that were with him had walkie-talkies and they, they all lit up and the Taliban was responding to their insults and, their, and, and with a, their own profanity and their own insults. And the Afghans continued to harass them and finally told them to step out of the cave so they could see them. And to the amazement of the special forces, they, they did. They came out of the caves on the opposing canyon wall and the Taliban began to appear. They were waving their arms and making obscene gestures to the Afghans and to the special forces across the way. The Afghan chief, with a little smile on his face, looked at the special forces commander and said, see, Taliban. Then he said, American bomb Taliban. And so then the special forces pulled out their fancy equipment bags and began tracking. This is the writer that says all this, not me. Began tracking with the GPS and lined up the coordinates and called the jets that were thousands of feet above them. And the Afghans took all of this in with a bit of skepticism while they had no idea what was about to happen. But when the coordinates were called in and the special forces just sort of sat back and began to watch the sky. The Afghans looked at them like they had lost their mind. And the, the pilots started calling in to the special forces. 30 seconds, 20 seconds, 10 seconds. And suddenly, the writer said, the whole mountainside burst into a sound of fury and massive explosion. And the caves were obliterated with the use of what we know as smart bombs that had been guided in by the GPS tracking systems. And after about 10 seconds of stunned silence, the Afghan warlord started jumping around and saying, American bomb Taliban, American bomb Taliban, American bomb Taliban. And then his 20-year men so started dancing and shouting with him because from their point of reference, the battle no longer belonged to them, but it was in the hands of the Americans. I've seen the time when God had us on GPS and we didn't know what time he was going to show up, but it made me jump up and down and said, God, you did it. Lord, you did it right on time. You took care of the enemy that I didn't know how to deal with. Lord, you took care of it. How often have we started a church service and we sing until inspiration begins to flow and we worship until the power of God begins to fall and we pray until something starts to happen and we speak out things in encouragement until your soul is full because God shows up right on time just like the American Air Force showed up the God of Israel will show up in your life. And I could go on and on and on and on with that list because let me tell you, when you begin to worship and you begin to sing, the missiles start coming and the devil can't stand it. You want to make the devil nervous? You start praising God. You get your hands up because the power of worship is the power that will bring the kingdoms of hell down. The power of worship. There never ought to be a service where a preacher has to beg you to raise your hand, where a preacher has 
has to beg you to clap, where a preacher has to tell you to say amen. There ought to be a praise in your heart. There ought to be a glory in your soul. There ought to be something ignited in you because God is fighting your battle. Hallelujah. That's where backsliders are convicted while you worship. That's when healing takes place while we worship. That's when evangelism comes to pass while we worship. Let me tell you something. It's not a one-man show here. It's not time at Christian life for a preacher to have to stand in the pulpit and preach to dead, dry, dull, boring saints. It's a time for your soul to be on fire, for there to be an eruption of praise that comes from the inside out. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to tell you there's a God that's done so much for me, I cannot tell it all. I refuse to be quiet about it. I refuse to sit down about it. I refuse refuse to ignore it. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to worship because the victory has already been declared. Here's verse 22. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah and they were smitten. I read something not long ago that said when the Spartans marched into battle, they went forward singing a song because they were willing and ready to fight. When the Persians entered the battle, you could hear the regiments being urged forward by the cracking of whip and the cursing of officers because they were afraid of dying and they were cowards in battle. That's why it's no wonder that the Spartans fought like lions in the middle of the pack of sheaves and the Persians weathered unto their death. They didn't win. You will never win if you don't have the heart to fight. Oh, man, that, 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 Preached my ordination service many years ago. He's long been gone with the Lord. He was an old debater. His name was D.L. Welch. D.L. Welch said, it's not the size of the dog that's in the bite, but it's the size of the bite that's in the dog. Quitters never win, and winners never quit. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God. Could, could, I, could, I, could I just paint you a picture? After the preacher preached, People started worshiping. And, then, and when they went to battle the next day, they didn't take one sword. They didn't take one shield. They didn't take anything of that day that could have been used for typical warfare of that day. They just simply, they went out and stood still. They didn't run. To, you know what the Bible says? You go read it. I, I read it in your hearing. The Bible said that Moab and Ammon took care of seer and then they took care of one another that's what happens when the devil's confusion comes all the enemy starts killing one another it's happened more than one time in the scripture but all they did they stood still i don't know what they sang it's kind of like paul and silas in the jail i wish i knew the course i wish i knew what they sang that night in the jailhouse because whatever it was it shook the whole jail it loosed every prisoner in there Look, ladies and gentlemen, we can't sing and praise God after the victory. You got to go out there and sing and praise God before the victory. You got to do it because, look, I, I, I know, I know you've heard me say this before, but we win. 
There's no doubt about it. We win. You just stay with this and we win. I read the back of the book. I read the final chapter. I know the outcome. And so does the devil. And that's why he's fighting so hard because he knows that we win. We don't lose. We win. If you're on God's side, you're on the winning side. Hallelujah. Is there anybody that can get excited about that? There's no way in the world for me to lose. There's an old guy that preached on the radio years ago when Erlene and I were evangelizing. That's been quite a spell. And, 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 and his name was Reverend Ike. Does anybody remember Reverend Ike? Oh, looky here. Reverend Ike, you know what he would say? You can't lose with the stuff I use. Well, I'm here to tell you I'm, I'm the modern-day Reverend Ike if you want to take it that way because you can't lose with this. You're not going to lose. Just start singing and praising and magnifying God. Let me tell you, that's what happens in a Pentecostal church. When somebody starts praising God, when somebody starts worshiping God the way we know to worship God, you can come in here down and out. You can come in here with your lip dragging the carpet. You can have the biggest thing going on on the job. Your marriage can be on the rocks. Your life can be in disarray. But when you come in here and you start putting your hands up and you start worshiping God when you start praising his name when you start lifting him up I've just got to tell you I've never been to a service where people worship God that good things didn't happen it's the invitation for God to come the power of worship is that it drives out every demon it will take Moab and Ammon and Mount Seir and destroy them on the side of a mountain and when it's all said and done you can pick up the spall and go you know what the Bible said they got to gathering up all the spoil all the jewelry all the silver all the gold in so much that they couldn't take it all go read it I read it to you tonight you probably just didn't pay attention to it they got it from all the dead bodies laying around who killed them? They killed themselves. Why? Because God fought the battle. Whew. God fought the battle. I, I can tell you more of one incident in the Bible where God just took over and people started killing one another because God confused their minds and, 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 and they walked out victorious. You see, if you want to know where a miracle is, it's in your worship. He said, you just go worship God for the victory. And Jehoshaphat took his army down there. And when they began to, to pray and to sing and to shout and to worship, the utter foolish, uh, the, 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 the battle of the, the Moabs and, and the Amorites, if you please, they were against one another in so much as that there was not one of them left. God killed everything there. Bodies everywhere, jewelry, silver, gold, attire. I mean, they're, they're gathering it up and can't carry it all. They, they stayed for three days to try to get everything there. I'm reading, I'm not in the book tonight because they worship God in the battle. Oh, if we could understand. Look, I may have told you this story, and I'm sure that I have. I've told every story I know, so it doesn't matter. But look, years ago when I was evangelist, I was just a young guy. I went to church. It wasn't far from here, within 100 miles of right here. It was the deadest church I've ever been in. I mean, it, it was like a morgue. You could preach your liver out. 
and they'd look at you like you was a statue. I'd never been so sick of people in my life. I mean, I, I, I wasn't raised like that. Matter of, fact, matter of fact, they had a little sign somewhere in the church and, uh, up near the platform. I remember it well. And it, it said something about praise or worship. And I jerked it down one night. I said, what praise and worship? I was crazy. I was a wild evangelist. I made them all mad. Millionaire owned the church, ran the church. Preacher was upset. I was upset. We couldn't get nothing going. We were spinning our wheels. We was fighting every devil. It was so bad that when I closed the revival, he resigned right after me the same night. He left, I did. It was terrible. I've been in some dead churches. I've been in, some te- I've been in churches so dead that if a bird dog ran by, it, he'd stop and point. I've been in some dead churches. Dead churches don't have revival. Dead churches don't have miracles. Are you listening to me? We need some dancing in the aisles. We need some hand waving. We need some shouting. I love it when somebody gets loose and lose your dignity because let me tell you, that's apostolic. And I'm tired of, of, of us just going through the motions. And don't, don't be surprised what I do here Sunday because we're not going through any more catechisms of Pentecost. We're going to have church here. We're going to have something happen here. If we can't worship God, we'll stop and have fire drills. Anybody have a fire drill? You remember those in school? Anybody remember the fire drills? When the bell went off, teacher got you up, you marched outside, you marched to a place right on the playground, you stayed in line, you knew right where to go, right where, and we had them often. They had fire drills. If that's what we got to do Sunday, that's what we do. We have praise drills. We just learn how to praise God again. If you need to know how to dance, we'll teach you how to dance. Hallelujah. If you're watching by this tonight and you're not here, you better put your praise garment on when you come to church Sunday because there's no miracles without praise. There's nobody going to get delivered without praise. There's nothing going to happen without worship. You can't sit on your pew. How in the name of God can Holy Ghost feel delivered people sit on their hands and not do anything? I'm going to tell you, he called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. We've got praise in our heart. There's somebody here that ought to worship him and glorify his name. And when you do, the devil is going to take his flight because God is going to give us the victory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Man, I'll never forget. I, I, I wish I'd have brought that picture. I'd have popped it up on the screen. It was, it was not, it may have been these chairs, but they were on this side not long before my old papa died. And let me tell you something. He couldn't hardly get up and get around. His mind wasn't good. But I got a picture of him standing with his arms raised. He was just at the point. I mean, it was just weeks before he died. But he wasn't going to sit down. And he wasn't going to shut up. And every once in a while in his heyday, he could be preaching or you could be preaching. And you'd hear him go, Whoa! I know that happened over and over and over. He taught me how to worship. My mom taught me how to worship. This church taught me how to worship. You can't discard the worship and get the victory. I'm here to tell you tonight that God said if you want it, you can have it. But you're going to have to worship. You just walk out of here and start singing. You just walk out of here and start preaching and start praising God. And something is going to happen. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. 
I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. Don't you tell me you're a Holy Ghost-filled Christian if you can't worship God. Don't tell me that what God saved you from if you don't have a praise in your heart. You may not have to do it like everybody else, but you've got to do something. I was in one church one time. They said, well, we're just feasting at the table, and, you know, we're just eating. I said, well, my God, rattle a fart, do something, throw a spoon. This is not cheerleading. I'm telling you what the Bible said. You know why we clap our hands? Because the Bible said clap your hands. Clap your hands, all you people, and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Huh? You know why we raise our hands? Because he said lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. You know why we shout? Because he said shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. You know why we dance? Because he said dance. Hallelujah. It's in the scripture. Go read Psalms 150 of all the instruments they name. And then he got to the human beings and he said, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Everything that hath breath. Are you breathing tonight? If you breathe, you ought to be praising God. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment. I'm not here on Wednesday night to entertain you. I'm here to tell you there's power in worship. There was power when they went to the valley and they fought the battle because God takes care of people who worship. Well, if God will heal me. No, no, no. You praise God before he heals you. Well, if God will hear my prayer, you got to praise him anyway. You can't wait for the miracle to happen. The miracle is on the way. The word of God. You know, and I've said this so many times. I hurry to a close. I got six minutes. Listen to me tonight. Worship is like exhaling. You don't have to breathe. You, don't, you can't just breathe in. You got to breathe out. When you breathe in and take in God's good air, you can't just keep that. And I'll tell you something some of you don't know. It's, it'll be funny to you, but it's okay. I got, I got this thing called sleep apnea. Had it for years. I remember when they told me I had it and I, I bought one of those machines. That thing sounded like a, a jet was coming through the room. I remember hooking it up that first night and trying to wear, wear it. And, and when I looked up, all my kids and my wife were there taking pictures of me, and they made me mad. So I took it off. And I said, I ain't wearing it. Oh, you got to wear it. Yeah, I said, no, I ain't wearing it. You're going to die. I said, I'll die. I ain't wearing it. Don't laugh at me. I ain't wearing it. Besides that, I hated the thing. Brother Wages, God bless his soul. He's gone to be with the Lord. He said, now, Pastor, what you got to do? Is you just, <laughs> this is true. He said, just drive your nail up above your bed and hang that hose on it. I could see me driving a nail in Erlene's wall. I said, Brother Wages, that ain't going to work at my house. Well, he told me. So I went for years, and I, I snored so bad, nobody wanted to be around me. Erlene would hit me. I, I, I carried bruises about half the time because she'd elbow me, kick me, because I snored for that. I'd go off with guys hunting, and they'd, I went, to, <laughs> I don't see Bruce and, and Leitris here, but I went, I went off with, to the deer camp with Bruce. He said, what time are you going to bed? I said, well, I don't know. He said, let me go first. 
He said, I can't sleep with you. If you he, I can't sleep in that room. If you, you go to bed first, you, you'll be asleep, and I, I never will go to sleep. So it was bad. But you know what? So a few years ago, three or four years ago, he told me, I went to the doctor, and he said, you're going to wake up dead if you don't start wearing that thing. So, no, you didn't catch that. But he said, you got you to start wearing it. I said, okay, <clears throat> okay. So I got a new one. It don't sound quite like a jet. And every night, I put that stupid thing on, strap it on my head, let them deals up my nostrils. Y'all get a picture of this. And I'm laying there like a zombie, but you know, I don't even hardly have to breathe. That thing just, it pushes in. And it's so hard, (laughs) it's so hard that if I just let my lips go, they go. I want to know if there's one man in this room wears a CPAP. I want to see your hand right now. Bless you, sir. Bless you. Thank you. So I'm just glad to know I'm not in this thing by myself. Amen. But I said all of that to say this. You can't just exhale. That air pushes down, but you still have to, or you can't just inhale. You still have to exhale. You can't stay alive just inhaling. You've got to exhale. And here's what, if I could paint you a picture tonight, Here's what it is. When, it, when the blessing comes and the glory comes, it pushes it down upon you. And you're going, but you can't keep it there. What comes out of you ought to be, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for healing my body. Thank you for taking care of my family. Thank you, God, for a car to drive and a house to live in and food to eat. And thank you, God, for every meal. Thank you for everything. Because, you see, you can't just inhale. You can't just take it in. you got to start exhaling. And the exhale is the worship of the church. The exhale is the praise of the people of God. We've got the blessing. We've got the anointing. We've got the healing. We've got the glory. We've got the good things that come to the people of God. But every once in a while, you've got to stop. And start exhaling and say, Jesus, thank you. I know from which my help comes. I know the blessings of the God that I serve are upon me tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would somebody stand up today and just put your hands up in the air and exhale with me a little bit and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for keeping Jesse and Renee through COVID. Thank you for keeping Judy and David. Thank you, Lord, for keeping people. Thank you for healing COVID and keep it. Thank you, God, for what you've are. Come on, somebody. You owe him praise here tonight. <laughs>